0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up on this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin appeared before the Senate Appropriations Committee earlier today. As President Biden has said, American leadership is what holds the world together. And if we fail to lead, the costs and threats to the United States will only grow. We must not give our friends, our rivals or our foes, any reason to doubt America's resolve. That, of course, uh, comes as the Biden administration wants more money. But the Biden administration does not understand that money doesn't buy leadership. The fact that the world is falling apart, despite the trillions in debt spending by the Biden administration, should make that abundantly clear. Now, House Speaker Mike Johnson has put forth a bill that separates the $14.3 billion for Israel from the $60 billion plus in additional money for Ukraine. The question is, will the House pass that? And then what happens? We're going to talk with Georgia Congressman Rich McCormick in just a moment. Also, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas appeared before the Homeland Security Committee in the Senate today, and he did his best not to give direct answers.
2: Can you say that Hamas, Hezbollah, or other Iran backed terrorists are not in the U.S. currently? Um, after possibly illegally crossing our southern border? Um, uh, Senator, uh, let me assure you that anyone who poses a threat to our national security or our public safety is an enforcement priority of ours, and we use our detention capabilities to the
3: fullest extent.
1: Mm, I'm still concerned. That was Florida Senator Rick Scott not getting an answer. Well, Senator Scott joins us later here on Washington Watch. And like a bad cold that won't go away, the World Health Organization is again quietly working on a plan to use the next pandemic as a cover for global governance. Jim Roguski, a Law and Activism Committee member at the World Council for Health, is here with the latest on the WHO, which is again meeting. Finally, the left cannot help themselves as the attacks continue on Speaker Mike Johnson. The problem with Johnson isn't at all his faith. He's entitled to his personal beliefs, as everyone is, even if they come from the 18th century. But when those beliefs
0: encroach on the rights of others, that's when it becomes dangerous.
1: That was former White House press secretary, now MSNBC host Jen Psaki. So, in other words, she's saying if Bible-believing Christians keep their beliefs to themselves, that, that's okay. We can tolerate that. But you know what, folks? That's not religious freedom. We have the freedom to live our lives according to our faith. And that's what's driving the left crazy. We're going to talk with someone who has actually known the speaker even longer than I have. And he also knows a little bit about the left's hostility to biblical Christianity. The former chief, fire chief of Atlanta, Kelvin Cochran, joins me here on Washington Watch a little bit later. All right, heads up, folks. Get ready to take notes today because there will be some action items. Our word for today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So why pray for government leaders? Does it really make a difference? Well, if it didn't, we wouldn't be told to do so. And it's clear that Paul believes the church should concern itself with government and government leaders. But you say, well, should we pray for only the ones we agree with? No, we should pray for all of them. In fact, we should pray harder for those opposed to the truth, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, and that they may encounter Jesus and come to the knowledge of the truth. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Israeli tanks and ground troops continued their push into the Gaza Strip today, moving closer to the city of Gaza with its dense urban environment and intricate underground tunnel system. As the Israeli military confronts Hamas, Republicans in Congress have made a $14.3 billion military aid package to Israel a top priority. President Biden and the Democrats are seeking to connect this military aid to more than $60 billion in additional funding for Ukraine. Joining me now, To discuss this and more, Congressman Rich McCormick, he serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Armed Services Committee. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman McCormick, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: Thanks. Good to be with you.
1: So you serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Tell us the latest you're hearing from Israel.
4: So I'll tell you what I hear outside the Foreign Affairs Committee. of this is a secret, but... I know for a fact this is going to be brutal urban warfare. Uh, anybody who's been in the military and seen what we did had to do in Fallujah and what we've done all across the small towns of Iraq understands how dangerous this business is. There's going to be some good people that die on both sides. And when I say good people on, on the Palestinian side, I'm talking about innocent civilians who just got caught up in this. Hamas are bad people, evil people who have guns, who have uh, forced this issue, who have uh, literally gone and killed babies, and raped women. And now the Palestinian people will be used as human shields uh, for this evil regime. Uh, let's let's face it, the the Israelis use their weaponry to pick, protect their children. Hamas uses children to protect their their uh, their military machine. Uh, if everybody in Gaza laid down their arms, there would be peace. If everybody in Israel laid down their arms, there would be no more Israel. They'd be annihilated. Uh, going room to room, house to house, is going to cost some very specialized people who are highly trained and and very patriotic their lives. That's just a fact. There's no getting and it doesn't matter how well trained you are, they are at multi-layered defenses. These guys are well trained, uh much better trained than in the past. Uh it is going to be difficult terrain, but but I know that it's very necessary to root out the Hamas down to the last person. My my biggest concern is that they'll melt away as they start to lose considerable ground and they'll just disappear into civilian populace and live to fight another day. I hope they fight and stay to the last man and and be brave as we give their souls back to Allah to be sorted out because uh, they need to be ended
1: congressman you're a marine veteran, and you understand, as you mentioned the urban combat this is one of the most densely populated areas, one of the top uh, areas in the in the world because it's uh, it 's a pretty small strip of land, a lot of people there, and it is going to be a uh, it's going to be a hard fought battle as Israel moves in there what Are you concerned or are you concerned about the international community? We're already hearing calls from even some of our own people here in the United States for ceasefires. That's not going to eliminate the threat that Israel is
4: facing from Hamas. Well, first of all, anytime you you talk about um, uh, sovereignty of a nation, they have some real hard choices to make. But we saw this coming from day one when, when not one bullet had been fired by Israel and yet, they knew they were going to have to go in and take out Hamas. Uh, imagine, if you will, America having another 9/11, and then everybody said, "Hey, let's just super peace, please. We got to have peace." That's an impossible scenario. You, otherwise, you're just a sitting duck for evil people. Uh, that's not realistic. But we knew this was going to be used against Israel from the get-go. We predicted it. Of course, it is. We we uh, we've seen an unprecedented amount of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic. Uh, behavior here in America, which I never thought I'd witnessed in my lifetime, especially just a couple days after you saw the egregious, the evil, the pure evil behavior of Hamas, beheading babies, raping women, taking hostages of, of innocents, uh, and then seeing people protest Israel. Uh, how baffling is that? This was a setup from the beginning. This is well orchestrated. It was meant to demonize Israel, even though they had pulled out of Gaza long, long ago. Uh, had no influence on that region as far as military or civilian populace. Uh, it was absolutely aggression from Haas, meant to start another religious war, right. uh, not just from their front, but from Lebanon, from Syria, from uh, from all over that region, and is all backed by Iran.
1: Yeah, and that that needs to be repeated often. People don't realize it. in two thousand and five, uh, Israel turned that over. Uh, to the Palestinians. And in 2007, they elected Hamas as their government. So it, it is. You're absolutely right. This is all Hamas. It, they own it. L- let's talk about the response. Speaker Johnson, House Republicans have made military support for Israel a top priority. They've already re- uh, passed a resolution last week, standing with Israel this week, uh, funding for Israel. It is uh, separated from uh, the Biden administration's priorities of another 60-plus billion going to Ukraine. Is that going to pass the House?
4: I think so. I think it will pass overwhelmingly. We know that they need it. Most of it's military aid. like over $10 billion of it is military aid. The rest of it is made up of state. And uh, some emergency funds, I'm not really sure why they need $50 million for emergency evacuation of Americans. They started doing the math. If it costs $5,000 per person, you're talking about 100,000 people. I know most of the people who wanted to leave have already left. So I'm a little bit suspicious about just throwing money at a problem. But the vast majority of this is going to go to military aid, which they need and which is going to be required in order to finish their mission.
1: But it's also an offset because this uh, 13 plus uh, billion dollars is going to come from the additional money that went to the IRS last year in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act.
4: You know, we've talked about this in several other bills that we passed that have not been signed into law. Uh, so we're attacking the IRS in, in multiple ways of them expanding. The problem is that it usually, or well, actually never, has emergency funds been have to be offset. I mean, that's why there are emergency funds being used. And if this starts becoming the new precedent, I, I think it's going to be a dangerous one. Uh, you're either doing the right thing or not. I think we need to save as much money as possible in the federal budget. Regardless, this is a leverage point that we're using to defund the IRS. The um, the CBO is going to give this a negative rating, most likely, because they're going to say now you're going to collect lax- less tax income. Uh, so you can see that partisan argument already starting to form, which I hate. Uh, this should be about one thing, which is funding the right thing to get done. Uh, I think we need to save every penny we can into the future. I think the IRS Uh, Having 87,000 more agents is a problem in and of itself. And I know why we're leveraging this, but I'm not sure it's the right fight to pick when we start talking about emergency funding being tied to things like this.
1: Do you foresee any Democrat support for this funding for Israel?
4: Absolutely. Uh, I I think they get it. Uh, This is a bipartisan effort. I I don't think that funding the the support of Israel is a partisan thing by and large. You will have some people... Uh, maybe even on both sides, one one person says uh, this is not a war we should be involved in. On one side, and the other side says, "Oh, we need to be fair and balanced." You know, this is you know your your Talebs and your Ilhans. Uh, I can understand why they wouldn't be for it. But I think the vast majority of Democrats as well as Republicans will be in support of Israel, and I don't think this will have a hard time passing. What
1: happens when this uh, comes back from the Senate uh, once again, combined with uh, Ukraine? <sighs>
4: That'll be interesting to see. I have not been in this scenario before. Uh, a lot. Of, remember, seventy percent of Congress is new in the last six years. So I, I, I wait. I, I wait patiently to see how this plays out. Uh, the reconciliation process is not clear for me in budgeting, especially in emergency budgeting. So uh, I have some things to learn, and I think a lot of congressmen uh, do.
1: Well, there, there's. I've been here about twenty years. There's a lot of new things right now that uh, I think will be hard to predict. You've got uh, conservative members of Congress who are pro-military, pro-national security, but also fiscally responsible. You've got new leadership. So it will be very interesting to see how this uh, plays out. Congressman McCormick, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to uh,
4: to join us today. Absolutely. God bless you guys. Semper Fidelis.
1: Semper Fi. Well, it is going to be very interesting to see how this uh, plays out. And I think um, I think it's going to – I do agree with him. I think you're going to see – Bipartisan support for this measure coming out of the House. I, I don't think the majority of Democrats want to be seen as anti-Israel. I think they want to be supportive of Israel, even though this is decoupled from the funding that the Biden administration wants from uh, wants for Ukraine. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we'll see how it plays out, doesn't it? Well, speaking of the Senate, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Congressman Rick Scott. We're going to be uh, discussing... A hearing today with um, the Homeland Security Secretary. You, Senator Scott, was wanting to know: Are any, any of these terrorists have they crossed the border into the country? Let's see if he got an answer. Later. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with more right here on Washington Watch, Number
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the terrorist invasion of Israel early this month echoes the unprecedented chaos at our own southern border, where in fiscal year 2023, Uh, All records have been shattered. Border Patrol uh, have had more immigrant encounters, including a record number of encounters with suspect suspects on the terrorist watch list than ever before. And if if we're not paying attention to this, and, and unfortunately, I don't think we are, at least the Biden administration is not. This could be deadly. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and FBI Director Christopher Wray testified before the Senate Homeland Security Committee today. But they refused to answer whether members of Hamas, Hezbollah, and other Iran, uh, Iranian-backed terrorist groups had illegally crossed the southern border. Joining me now to discuss this, Senator Rick Scott from Florida, who is leading the effort to keep Israel support separate from other spending, like we were just talking about with uh, Congressman McCormick. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Committee on Homeland Security, Government Affairs, and the Senate Budget Committee. Senator Scott, welcome back to the program.
2: Great to be with you, Tony. Yeah, we had a we had a hearing today and my goal was is to really make sure people know what the risk is and so they wake up. I mean, I think October seventh was a wake up call to America. Um when you see that the the hatred, the evil that these Hamas terrorists did to individuals where they cut off babies' heads, they raped young girls and burned them alive, burned babies. I mean all these all these horror Horrible things. Could that happen here? I don't want it to happen here. So, um, what that was my question today is what is America? What's what's our risk in America to Hamas and Hezbollah and other cherished group?
1: Uh, Senator, you said it's a wake up call. I'm not sure it is a wake up call for this administration. I mean, they continue to do the same thing they did before.
2: Hi, <laughs> I don't, you know what? Here's what I don't understand. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, you should love your family, right? So 70,000 people die in a fentanyl overdose a year because there's an open border? I mean, why don't the Democrats want to solve this in Biden? And you look at what happened in Israel, you see the hatred to Jews in this country, um, and you see these open borders. You Look at how many people have come from Iran, in Iraq, in Syria, in Afghanistan, completely unvetted, that are around our country. And think about this for a second, 19 terrorists, with box cutters, killed 2,700-some Americans back in 9-11. And if you look at Hamas, all they had was a few vehicles and guns. And they killed 1,400 Israelis and Americans, and they still have, what, close to 300 people, including at least 10 Americans hostage in, in Gaza. So, you,
1: you know, Senator, I know that these hearings are a part of the oversight, and this is part of your responsibility as a, as a senator, but, you know, it, it it's it, they are so evasive. They never answer questions. It's like they're they're gotaways. You know, we—we, we, you're not able to get any answers out of them when you ask them a very direct question. That's got to be extremely frustrating.
2: I don't know if you saw today, though, when I asked um, Director Ray if we were safer now than when Biden took office. He had a very difficult time coming up with an answer. Um, he took a long time to come up with an answer because he doesn't want to say the truth. And we are way, way more dangerous now.
1: It's, I'm looking to see if I actually have that uh, clip. I wanted to play that if I have it. Um, I don't know. Do we have that clip? All right. Well, we'll see if we have that clip. I know we've got uh, some of the other clips from the, today's testimony. but. Is there not some obligation for them to answer the questions of uh, the senators that have oversight of their agencies
2: you know here's what's here tony here's what's really frustrating. The Democrats control the House committee or the Senate committees because they have a majority and they the the so because they have a majority vote on the committee the never they never get held accountable what here 's what i don't understand when we ask for information from places like the FBI or Homeland Security or uh, Health and Human Services, they give us, you know, either they don't respond or they have redacted information or they don't answer the question. So we are supposed to be the oversight committee. And unless the Democrats care about the issue, which they don't seem to care, that 70,000 Americans are dying of fentanyl overdose a year, that we have the risk of Hamas and Hezbollah here, And I guess maybe eventually when it impacts their family, they'll finally start caring. Um, So but they did they had to acknowledge today that, you know, we have significant risk. We have significant risk of terrorist attacks in this country, um, not just from lone wolves, but from an organized effort by Iran and other places and Hezbollah and Hamas, all these groups.
1: I want to switch topics before we run out of time. You've been leading the effort in the Senate to uh, separate the funding for Israel, the emergency funding for Israel that the administration has requested from the additional 60-plus billion dollars that's being requested for Ukraine. Now, in the House, they've actually put forth a standalone bill just for Israel. What are the prospects of that bill when it comes over from the House in the Senate?
2: Well, I'm optimistic. Um, the first off, I think uh, Speaker Johnson uh, is going to do a good job. He's doing the right thing. He has a, he separated it. Uh, that's just, what's happening in Israel is totally different than in Ukraine. And remember, the Biden bill is a is a bill to help uh, sanctuary cities. That's what it really is. Uh, so he separated that out, and he actually finished, fiscally he's doing the right thing. He's going to make sure we pay for it. So uh, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we have a vote on this in the Senate, and I'm hopeful it'll pass. Um, and I, here's what I think we ought to be doing right now. We have a majority in the House. We have a new uh, Republican Speaker of the House. Let's support them and let's don't undermine them by doing things by working with the Democrats over in the Senate. Let's let's stand with our Republican colleagues in the House.
1: Can you get the Republican leadership in the Senate to do that? It's up to,
2: it's up to voters. Um, as you know, I ran against Mitch McConnell last year because that's not what he's been doing. He's been voting. Uh, with, you know, 10 or so other Republicans with Biden, uh, it appears that he wants to do it with this. Uh, I think um, I think most of our conference doesn't want to do that. They want to separate it. Um, and so I'm I'm hopeful that's what will happen. And by the way, it's not going to pass. And I always say it's not going to pass in the House. Why are we giving them the votes? It just undermines what Mike Johnson's trying to do over in the House.
1: Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. The Senate Republicans should support this new speaker who's trying to do the right thing, which is beneficial to all Americans and to Republicans. What's the action item? 20 seconds. What should our listeners be doing?
2: Make uh, First off, call your call your House members, Senate members, separate bill on, on Israel uh, that's paid for. That's what they ought to
1: be doing right now. OK. All right. That's the action item. Senator Scott, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. See Tony. Bye-bye. All right, stick around, folks. We're back with more Washington Watch
0: after this.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right, let me give you that capital switchboard number that uh, Senator Rick Scott was uh, making reference to you, making calls to your senators regarding the funding for uh, Israel, 202-224-3121. That's 202 uh, 224 Contact your senator and encourage them to support the approach that the House Speaker is taking to uh, segment this funding and have standalone funding for Israel. Uh, that uh, is going to be voted on probably tomorrow. All right. All right. As we continue to track the World Health Organization's effort to usurp authority and power from sovereign nations, yesterday, the Intergovernmental Negotiating Body published their latest draft of the proposal for negotiating text of the pandemic agreement. Now, that is a mouthful, I know. But that's what these bureaucrats do. But you need to pay attention to this because this is dangerous stuff. Now, this version will be considered by the seventh meeting of the Intergovernmental Negotiating Body next week at the WHO headquarters in Switzerland. Now, the WHO's end goal of this effort, which has been going on for a while and it will continue up until next May, is to be fully empowered to make decisions on our behalf without our consent. Joining me now to discuss this is Jim Roguski, a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health. Jim welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Well thank you very much for having me and you know you are correct it is a mouthful but the fact that it's not referred to as a treaty is actually very important because what they are setting up and it's exactly what you said is an ongoing series of what they call the conference of the parties that would meet pretty much forever and the idea is They're trying to hash out an agreement just to have an agreement so that they can pat themselves on the back and say, oh, look what you know! great work we did. I was actually a little bit surprised that from the last version, this version got smaller by about 12 pages. And so what they're doing is trying to reach a basic fundamental agreement to set up a bureaucracy that would meet on an ongoing basis year after year after year to impose protocols that as you said we wouldn't have any any say over the matter much like the framework convention for climate change that was agreed to by the united nations back in nineteen ninety two that ongoing system of you know forever unelected unaccountable bureaucrats making decisions on our behalf without our input is something that's just absolutely not acceptable i mean this is like a self-winding watch uh, once they create
1: it, it's just going to keep on going. So explain for just a moment. It, it, it's very I read through all this. And and so they create this conference of the parties and then they're empowered to do forever whatever they want to do. And then it's just like Hotel California for those that want to try to get out. They can't, it takes two years. You've got to be in it two years and then it takes a year for them to act upon it. I mean, the world could be eradicated
3: by the time you're able to get out of this bad deal. The, the thing to realize about the meat of what they're talking about though is that it doesn't have any resemblance to what people would think of as health. Right. It's really a financial, you know, venture capital prospectus to literally get um, developed nations to invest money in infrastructure in developing nations to build out more laboratories, more testing um, facilities, more um, mRNA manufacturing facilities. Uh, you had mentioned or your staff had mentioned to me the global preparedness monitoring board. They put out a report and, you know, they were tracking the mRNA manufacturing plants in Africa. And, and so what they're really looking for is not an evaluation of the mistakes that happened over the last three or four years. They're more than doubling down. They want to build the infrastructure to do more of what they did to us over the past four years. Which didn't work
1: in terms of uh, stopping a pandemic or keeping p- people safe. It just took their rights and gave them more power. So what, what are the next steps here? Because I, I know December is one critical deadline that we need to be aware of. What, what are some other things coming up we need to be aware
3: of? So, you know, they make it confusing because there are many different pieces of the puzzle, and there are at least three pieces. The one that we've just started talking about is their um, convention, which is on a little bit of a slower timeline. They're not thinking about having that completed until May of next year. There are two sets of amendments to the international health regulations, one that was adopted 17 months ago, and there's an 18-month period for every nation on the planet to reject the amendments that the Biden administration shoved through on May 27, 2022. So the deadline for all of the nations on the planet to reject that, just by sending a letter to the WHO, and I put together a page, um, which is rejecttheamendments.com, where people can download a letter, sign it, and just mail it to your congressmen, your senators. Um, I wish I had a chance to talk to Senator Scott. I really want them in the Senate to pay attention and submit H.R. 79 or at least a copy of it in the Senate. Um, so those amendments can still be rejected. But there's another set that are currently being rewritten. And we hope to maybe get a glimpse of them uh, the first week of December. Uh, Jim, Jim, we're out, We're
1: up against a break. This happens every time. But if if one chamber were to send something to the W.H.O., could that derail the effort? Um, I certainly
3: feel I certainly feel that the senators and members of Congress should come together, understand this issue and realize that they need to take action because their silence is viewed as consent. And that is just absolutely not acceptable. All right. Well, we're going to continue to track. it. You keep us up to date and uh, we're going to keep our viewers
1: and listeners up to date as well. And uh, folks, we're going to have an action item for you on this, too, on the other side of the break. Jim, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Folks, we're we're committed to stopping this because this is this is really bad. I know we see all these conspiracy things out there on the internet, but we've read through this. It's real. It is a real threat. All hey, right, don't go away. On the other side of the break, we come back with more Washington
0: Watch. Right here. Right here. Don't go away.
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro-life men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. All right, uh, here's one of the action items. We, we've got to stop this World Health Organization, WHO, and Global Governance Plan. And, and, and he, Jim was actually right. It, it's very confusing intentionally. They've got three different tracks going and they're dragging it out forever. They keep changing it. it. It is a moving target. But this we know this is unprecedented in its effort to grab global power. Right, they they want to use the cover of the next pandemic. And it doesn't even have to be a pandemic. It'd be a declared emergency. And, and this covers so many different things. And we know, I mean, look what's coming out of the United Nations right now. They're attacking Israel. For defending itself against Hamas. This is this is not an entity that we want to give more power to. So help us uh, expose this. We're working with members of Congress and trying to get some hearings set up. Uh, We want America to know what is happening with WHO. And so uh, this week, if you will uh, stand with us financially, uh, we have some uh, some partners that have put forward a special match It is a challenge match. It'll be your gift will be quadrupled. All right. Um, So if you'll give us a call, we've got some folks standing by from our team to take your phone call. 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008 to help us stop this power grab by the World Health Organization. All right. 800-225-4008. All right. As I've uh, discussed, the left is working overtime to uh, target Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, for his Christian faith. And I've been very clear. He's been on this program many times. I've known Mike for for a long, long time. The, here's their main problem, is that Mike actually believes what he says when he speaks of his Christian biblical faith. His, 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 what he described as a biblical worldview. And I'm going to play this uh, this clip again that we played yesterday. This was uh, Jen Saki. Uh, on her show she w- used to be the um, called inside with Jen Saki" on MSNBC she used to be the press secretary uh, and uh, let me she played a clip it's uh hold on just a second it's clip number 12 we're going to play this uh, go ahead and play clip number 12.
0: He gave us all a little clue as to how
1: he would govern in an interview this week.
3: I am a Bible-believing Christian. Someone asked me today in the media, they said, it's curious, people are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's, That's my worldview.
1: You heard that right. The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview. Jen, that's called a biblical worldview, juxtaposed to your humanist worldview, all right? And there are a lot of Christians out there that operate from that same worldview. The left is doing whatever they can to try to look for scandalous details about Mike Johnson's life. And and one they've latched on to is quite comical. The fact that he got a covenant marriage 25 years ago. And um, he worked with me to help promote it, a, a law that I passed in Louisiana. Well, I want to bring in someone who's actually known the speaker even longer than I have. He knew his father, who Mike made reference to on the day that he was uh, sworn in as speaker in his speech to the House. He made reference to his father, who was a fireman in Shreveport, Louisiana, and was injured on the job and uh, died just a few days before uh, Mike. He had retired, a health retirement uh, because of his injuries, but he died just a few days before Mike was sworn into Congress uh, from cancer. Well, join me now to uh, to discuss this and this attack that is going on toward Christian faith is Kelvin Cochran. He, uh, among the many titles he's had, he served as firefighter. He was later the chief of uh, the fire department in Shreveport, Louisiana, alongside um, now speakers, uh, Mike Johnson's father. He previously served as the administrator of the United States Fire Administration and then the fire chief of Atlanta. Chief, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you.
6: Tony, it's great to see you, and it's good to be back
1: on Washington Watch. And you actually worked with uh, Mike's dad.
6: Um, in fact, uh, he trained you, did he not? That's exactly right. Uh, Mike's dad, Pat Johnson, was uh, on the street for a firefighter. department, what we would refer to as a firefighter's firefighter. He was a role model to all firefighters, and he was uh, promoted to captain training officer about a year before I was hired in 1981, and he quickly became all of the recruits' favorite training officer. And for me personally, he became a role model because uh, he made such an impression upon me with the way he wore his uniform, his professional demeanor, and just the way that he treated people on the job, and he gave me the aspiration of wanting to be a captain training officer one day. And as you stated, Tony, uh, his untimely uh, retirement due to accident, due to injuries sustained at a coal storage plant explosion, where he was one of the members of the hazardous materials response team, uh, and training officer Percy Johnson was killed, and Pat Johnson. Was badly burned and ultimately retired. His retirement, Tony, created a vacancy, uh, and I was his successor in being promoted to fill the vacancy that he created when he retired.
1: When you, being that close to uh, to Mike's father, I mean, you saw him, and in, 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 in that kind of, uh, you know, having been in law enforcement. Um, You know, I know there's similarities there as first responders, the pressure. You really see people for what they are. What can you tell us in terms of similarities that you see in Mike with his father, Pat?
6: Man, there are many similarities. Uh, Pat Johnson was unashamedly Christian. He integrated his faith with his calling as a firefighter, and he integrated his faith with his purpose as a father and as a husband, and uh, he was one of those Christians who connected his role as a firefighter to the biblical principle of being our brother's keeper and to the biblical principle of sacrificing or laying down one's life uh, for another. Pat Johnson was a man of courage and a man of valor, and uh, those same traits exist in his son, Mike Johnson.
1: So so Chief, When you when you go through any type of uh, academy, whether it be law enforcement, military, fire, you look up to those trainers. Um, Did his faith play a role in shaping your integration of your faith with your public walk as a firefighter?
6: It absolutely did, because he was outwardly living out his faith. He was. Uh, sharing how faith connected to the career in every aspect of the training of a firefighter. Uh, he made sure that we understood as rookie firefighters that there was a divine connection between being a firefighter and uh, and being a believer uh, and also being faithful in our family relationships. And he lived it out. Uh, Pat Johnson and his family, they lived right across the street from the training academy. Can you imagine that? And so I had a chance to see uh, uh, Pat's uh, wife, Jeannie, and and Mike and his siblings, they would come across the street to the training academy from time to time, and I had a chance to see Pat Johnson live out uh, his love for his family and his kids right in front of all of us. And I remember Mike specifically. He was so proud of his dad, uh, and his dad was so very proud of him, and uh, Mike was uh, just a consummate big brother. Uh, you could tell that he took serious his responsibility of being a big brother for his siblings.
1: Chief, obviously, you paid close attention uh, to to Pat in his role of integrating his faith because you did the same. In, in fact, um, you know, for those that don't know your story, uh, we connected when you were the chief in Atlanta, uh, and you were very much like Mike Johnson is being today being criticized publicly for simply living out your faith as a Bible-believing Christian.
6: Yes, sir. Uh, I tell you, you know, I never imagined, Tony, that writing a book for a Christian men Bible study would actually cost or end my childhood dream come true fairy tale career after 34 years of faithful service uh but it absolutely did uh in my career and um I learned a lot of things about that I just was completely shocked that in the United States of America the land of the free and the home of the brave the, the land of our constitutional first amendment rights that I could be terminated for writing a book for a Christian in Bible study so I know firsthand uh what it's like to be uh, targeted and attacked for speaking truth
1: Of course, you went on in uh, in court and prevailed in that case and and won. And I think your example of being willing to to live out your faith, I mean, Atlanta Fire Department, that's a big fire department. And by your example, I I have no doubt that through the years of your 30 plus years in the fire industry, in the fire department, uh, in various places, that there are others. Just like you look to Pat Johnson that looked to you and saw, hey, this guy is living it out. He's the real deal. That's what really frightens the left. And that's why they want to crush people like you, like Mike Johnson, uh, and, and others is because, I mean, it's why they want to cancel us, is because we give a platform and we, we actually walk out our faith. We're not going to hide it. We're not going to keep it between our ears. We're going to share it because it is, it is our hope that's within us, And it's also what offers freedom and fulfillment to others.
6: It absolutely does, Tony. And, um, you know, having the courage and grace to stand in this cultural moment is so essential for all believers when we are facing the fire. And I've come to learn that there are three essential components for uh, any and all believers who, when that day comes, not if it comes, but when that day comes, It's so important for us to know, number one, that God has prepared us for that moment. Uh, Realize that you would not be facing the fire and and experiencing that moment if God had not determined that he had thoroughly equipped you for it. And so Mike Johnson has been thoroughly prepared and thoroughly equipped to deal with the persecution uh, that he is facing. And so has all believers been prepared by the Most High God. The second thing is to face the reality that there are worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. There are worldly consequences for it. So being attacked for speaking the truth should be anticipated and expected for the believer, knowing that, number one, again, God has prepared us for it. And um, the truth always sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And so we should expect for them to respond in a very, uh, in many cases, harsh and sometimes even violent way. But because of their response, we should not respond that way. We should respond with love and with compassion, but with also with confidence. We should not be surprised. We should not be discouraged. But we should also not waver. One of my favorite scriptures in 1 Peter 4 and 12 says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And then the third thing, uh, not only is there worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ, the third thing is there are kingdom consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ, and the kingdom consequences are always, always greater than the worldly consequences. Because God has predestined Mike Johnson to be the speaker, he cannot fail. He will be successful because God predestined him to be there. But if by chance he experienced some kind of a loss, Jesus said, whatever you lose standing for me, I will restore it 100-fold in this life with persecution. But afterwards, you will experience eternal life. I'm living proof that Jesus Christ was not using hyperbole, Tony. I'm living the 100-fold life after having been persecuted for writing a book for a Christian and Bible study. So all believers should be encouraged by those three lessons.
1: You're absolutely right. That is so spot on, and it, it, it reminds me of, uh, of First Peter, when Peter was writing to the to the Christians that have been dispersed because of persecution. In fact, I actually sent this verse to, to Mike this morning. I was talking to him last night, and he's he, he's encouraged uh, because of the prayers that people are praying for him. But, but Peter wrote this. He said, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord your God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope, that is in you and, and that's religious freedom we, we we know it's coming but we embrace it with joy because it's a it, it is a part of the purpose and it's all about bringing glory and honor to the lord jesus christ chief always great to see you thank you so much for uh taking time very quickly we're, we're up against the break but what is the main thing people could be doing right now to be supportive of mike johnson
6: they should certainly be praying for Mike Johnson, that God will continue to use him the way he has been used uh, since the time he has been a public servant, and that he'll have the courage and the boldness necessary to lead uh, as Speaker of the House and to do so with honor uh, and valor, just like his dad, Pat Johnson, served as a Streetport firefighter.
1: Chief Kelvin Cochran, thank you, sir. Always great to see you. So appreciate you. Thank you, Tony. All right. We should pray for all of those at authority who actually began the program, but even more so for those who are standing for truth. And when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in these positions, it should give us all the more reason to pray. So pray for Mike Johnson and all of the members of Congress who are there for the right reason, to serve their fellow man and to bring honor and glory to God. And they're not hiding that. All right, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.